to the GM's Corner, a Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put general managers under the hot seat and try to steal, I guess on the hot seat would be better, it would be under the lights and on the hot seat, and I will attempt to steal all of their very best secrets. Of course, I will then edit them all out so I can just keep them all for myself, so you're just going to have to deal with that, I guess. I am Ron Collins, the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and today I have a special treat. I have Ryan Hetzer, the GM of the Umeba's Manama, Manama, Manama. You'll have to tell me how to pronounce that again because I always get it wrong. I always think of the Muppets Manamana whenever I get into the Manama pearls. Anyway, I have Ryan with me here in the BBN uh, studios, and we're going to have some great fun talking about baseball in the Middle East and whatever is going on in in Manama. Um, So, Welcome, Ryan, and thank you for spending your time here this afternoon with me. Thank you, Ron. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk with you. Um, I was happy to to be invited on and um, being my first year in the league. It's been quite a, a fun and, and good experience get, getting through the first season. And um, I, I, you'd think that I would have... Uh, research the exact pronunciation of that, but I, I, I've always said in my mind, uh, Manama, but yeah, it, it, I don't know that I'm correct on that. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Randy Wiegand, the general manager of the San Fernando um, um, Bears will give me hell about that because he's constantly explaining how to pronounce it since he actually lives there right this moment or lived there. I guess he's in transit now between there and uh, his next stationing in Italy, I think it is. Um, I saw that he was rooting for me uh, in the in some of the slack chatter and and on the on the boards and we, we let him down with a three one a little bit of a choke job, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, that's funny. Well that was actually, you know, one of my one of my favorite parts of the entire season has been watching the Umeba uh, postseason um, events with the huge run by the uh, Mumbai Metro Stars to steal away a United Cup. And that's that's got to be an interesting situation to be part of. Both fun in certain ways and extremely frustrating in others. <laughs> it was a, it was a lot of fun and having it be the, the my maiden voyage in the in the Umeba League. Uh, and actually, it's unfair to really actually say it was a choke job. I think you know, they they deserve. A ton of credit. It was the the games even getting to the three one lead were were mostly tight and good ball games and it just um, you know once you get to that game seven anything can happen and we had uh, Trojka, nice left handed starter who got really drilled twice two different times in the series and that kind of ended up being the being the deciding factor but it was a fun series a good series and. Uh, yeah, I mean, after beating the the juggernaut Bucharest and you know knocking them out, and then coming back from three one, I it was you know, a little bit of a storybook uh, championship run for them. There you go. Well, you mentioned this was your first full year in the uh, Brewster Brewster Universe, the Umeba. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to me about your uh, experience. What was that whole first year like, um, taking over the seat, and what kind of thoughts and decisions were you making? Um, just give me the rundown. Sure. Um, well, I think coming into the Brewster just in general and 
you and I have shared a little bit of um, messaging on the topic, but it's it's an intimidating thing in some ways. Uh, I think that uh, all the information is is there for you as a new general manager. Uh, the, the league does a good job of of making the things available, like past media guides and the constitution and so on. But um, you know, especially when maybe you're in another league or two, like I am, and you're trying to um, acclimate yourself to to the universe with fictional players. I, I think that that's something that adds that a little bit of a kind of a disoriented disorienting element at first for. Uh, me being a new GM, even though I really love the the idea of fictional players, uh, it still takes a little while to to get used to that and to to get into that. Um, and then even just sort of the 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 differentiation of the two leagues, and um, it's all uh, a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> uh, but 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 it's. It's been really a fun experience, and just in the 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 one season, and of course, you know, in our in our sim schedule, the a one season can go by in a a blink of an eye. Um, I already feel much more comfortable, much more at ease, and just in that time. So, Good. looking to looking forward to the the next, you know, the the near future and gaining more perspective on everything. I'm really looking forward to that. As far as the the team in general. I, mean, I was left with uh, a great situation. I, I can't take a whole lot of credit for the team's success uh, this past year. You know, winning the, the division and getting to the champ to the cup round. Um, it was really really left uh, with a with a great situation. A lot of a lot of good talent. Um, a lot of young pitching talent, which is. Always nice to have on any in any organization. Yeah, that doesn't suck. <laughs> so, you know, I, I put a little bit of my own stamp on some things, but was really left with a good situation. So I'm just I'm just uh, concentrating on trying to keep keep. I mean, I wouldn't call it a dynasty, but keep the keep the train rolling and keep things going uh, on a positive way as they have been in Manama for the last uh, several several seasons. Yeah, the, an advantage you had is that the uh, general manager before you was well-versed in the mechanics of how players come into and out of the uh, Umeba League, and I think there are some nuances there um, being a, I'll, I'll call it a sidecar league because it is the small league, you know, the the um, BBA versus the Umeba, the sizes are obviously uh, quite a bit different, and the finances right. of the Umeba are designed such to allow for a certain amount of competition for resources, but um, uh, but it makes the Umeba a little bit more of a, you know, scrabble around and find resources in lots of different places. So a guy who gets familiar with that flow is probably got a bit of a uh, advantage in that situation that is un- that is more unique in our universe than in perhaps some of other out of the park um leaks that people are familiar with absolutely and I, I think that is still a learning curve that i'm dealing with i i, I have a better sense of it and how that how those two how the two leagues uh interact in certain ways but still not uh fully and um Absolutely, but he uh, definitely set set me up well, and 
And then, of course, yeah. as, as soon as you get actually uh, comfortable and familiar with it, then we end up getting openings inside the BBA and we offer offer slots and then uh, a new guy has to come in and uh, well, actually, we've been turned down yeah. now. We've, we've actually uh, crossed the – when we first started the Umeba back, however, what, eight seasons ago or so? I can't remember how many seasons the Umeba has been in existence. One of our conversations was how long would it be until we had a Umeba general manager turn us down for a BBA slot, and that's happened a couple of times now for the past couple of seasons. Oh, yeah. So, um, wow. you know, that uh, to me has been an exciting part of the whole process. Uh, we had the EBA back when I first came in the into the Brewster world. I joined as part of the European Baseball Association, managing the Madrid uh, Matadors, I think they were, uh, <laughs> before I took over Yellow Springs. Um, but that was one of the main things I was thinking about is how long would it be before the Umeva got to be interesting and intricate enough into itself that it would no longer, that it would be a destination job, right, rather than a... Uh, stepping stone. And I know a lot of guys would still uh, prefer to move into the Brewster because uh, it is the bigger, messier, complex historical league. Right. Uh, but uh, the way things are going, it's looking to me like the Umeba is really starting to... Um, I don't know if you listened to the last podcast I had with Aaron, but it feels like you've got a lot of your younger players are coming into the league. The rosters are now filled with homegrown folks as much as or more than maybe even uh, ex-BBA players. And I have a great deal of fun watching your teams um, for players' names that I recognize, obviously. Um, but yeah. it's, I, I'd be interested in your uh, – do you feel like I have a fairly accurate representation of that? Do you feel that the – how do you feel about the, the Umeba situation? I, I do feel like there's definitely um, – if I just look at my own organization, it's almost the majority of the guys are homegrown, um, especially if you look two years out or three years out in the future. The number of 19, 20, 21-year-old guys who um, really figure into uh, the the near future – and I think another way that I would agree with you is the is the draft. I mean, I've only been a part of just the one draft, but we ended up getting three or four guys who really, really like and who definitely project into the, the big league club within two to three seasons, maybe even less for one particular guy. So, you know, when, when you look at that, too, that's that's homegrown talent that's building up through your own system and not necessarily having to, to have that reliance on the, the, the BBA guys who are coming out of coming out of there. Um, whereas in the past it's, that it, it may, my, my sense is that has been, you know, happening more. So I, I would agree. And I think the expansion thing is really exciting. You know, I don't know if you, when you were going through some of the exciting things in the Umeba, I, I'm not sure if you mentioned that, but I mean, the expansion, when I saw that announcement, I was really excited to to see and to hear that. I think that's great um, to add two more ball clubs. And uh, I hope that – I think there's been talk of being able to do a little bit more um, interleague play as well in the schedule. And I know the schedules in, in uh, out of the park can be very difficult to kind of deal with. But if that's 
something that we would be able to do as well. I think that would add another element to the league as well when you only have 10 teams to be able to have a bit more variety. Right, right. Yeah, the the uh, league will morph over time. And one of the things that you will find about the Brewster universe, and a lot of this falls on the shoulders and heart of Matt Rechtenwald, the commissioner, um, you will find uh, if if the world continues to move the way it has moved since I have been in this league anyway, um, you will find that the the league will evolve in a lot of ways you wouldn't have thought about. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we've had lots of different interesting rule things that we'll throw into, into place. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see, um, you know, the leagues will be as big as we can have um, engaged and excited general managers, right? And so we've actually moved the Umeba up from eight to ten to twelve, and back down to eight, and it'll probably go back up. Uh, you know, if if the league continues to grow properly, it will probably go back up. Um, just depending on, you know, how how much fun people are having (laughs) when it comes right down to it. So Matt is a master when it comes to adjusting things, you know, changing the stat engine. Um, Sometimes it goes in ways that he's not expecting. And so it'll take another couple of years to bring it back. You know, we've had a recent uh, weirdness in the BBA world around offense. And I know the Umeba started as a major offensive uh, league. I have to look at the numbers again to see whether that's been, been adjusting, but uh, that's one of the things I personally love about the BBA is that it is not very—it's not a very static environment. Um, and of course, the general managers themselves are always fun before it's all yeah. said and done, which I think is like a requirement for any long-running online league is that the general managers understand that this is about having fun and uh, and increasing that. What uh, in that light? What is your? You've had a full season under your belt, and I liked your comment about the season can go by in the blink of an eye. Um, yeah. Although when you're at Yellow Springs and you're waiting for two days to get eliminated from the uh, Landis Monty Brewster round again, it seems like it takes a year to get there. But that's another <laughs> story all total. Yeah. Um, you know what? What is your? What is the favorite thing that you've had happen around Manama? What do you What are you enjoying the most about that team? Um, I I think being a, a native St. Louisan, um, you're 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 born into being a Cardinal fan. I mean, it's it's required if you're from St. Louis. <laughs> and um, when some of my more formative years as a fan we had something called the MV3 that, that was kind of the nickname and it was Pujols, Roland and Jim Edmonds when those three guys were playing together for a number of years and they had the nickname, the MV3. So it's been fun to, to have a team where with Coca and center field and Guerrero, who's really just a DH, but even as a DH, I mean, the guy just mashes and, you know, such an offensive force. And then, um, uh, Sadahauer O the third. Um, he he maybe is a little bit behind in that discussion of a of an actual MVP, but still he's he's good enough to where. So it, it just sort of gives me that uh, thought or that vibe to have those three guys. And then uh, had something really cool happen this year with one of the marks I did go ahead and make on the team. I think that um, the two I just call him Carto because I can't 
pronounce the full last name. And <laughs> I, so I gave, I gave him the nickname of Carto, but Carto and Zuniga as Carto uh, being, I think, 19 and Zuniga 20, or it could be the other way around, but 19 and 20 year olds in the Umeba. And they, I think the previous GM was holding them back a little bit, didn't want all the pitching to arrive at the same time for budget reasons down the road. And uh, I just went ahead and just inserted those guys into the rotation from day one. They were not uh, fully a part of last year's team. And of course they were a year younger, but to have both those guys win 21 games, which actually tied the Yumiba record uh, for wins. Oh, that's going to be fun. They both shared it, yeah, and and Carto won the pitching triple crown. So uh, that was um, you know, to have talent like that and be able to follow talent like that on your team was was really a lot of fun. And then I mentioned uh, just one other thing is I, I mentioned the draft, and we've got a, a couple of corner outfielders in the first couple of rounds that are really nice looking players. Stoles and Barfoot are the last names, and. Um, really looking forward to getting them in the lineup uh, within the next couple of seasons. So that those are, those are some things that really stood out for me this year and just in, enjoyable. Well, this, this conversation has already paid its, its dividends to me because when you use the word, the name Barfoot, that immediately tells me uh, that makes me wonder whether there's a, a family relationship going on here, because if you do a scan of uh, best players in BBA history, you will find Paul Barfoot is one of them. And so I'm wondering whether we've got the uh, son slash grandson, whatever of, uh, of one of our historic players coming up through the Umeba. So I'm going to have to go out and immediately do some history search on that. That's, that could be fun. That sounds like a bunch of TNs all, all into itself. Um, you noted you were from St. Louis. Uh, I think in our other conversations, you're actually living in Texas right now. But um, as soon as I hear the word, I, I grew up in Indiana and Kentucky. So right in the uh, what I consider to be the Chicago Cubs, St. Louis Cardinals, Cincinnati Reds triangle. Right. I would go see games in all of those places. Um, but as soon as I hear St. Louis, I hear baseball. Right. And so my uh, question to you has to jump into, you know, what was your entryway into baseball? Can you even remember the first time you were cognizant of it? And um, what is your relationship to the sport? Well, I can definitely remember when I became most cognizant because it was go crazy, folks, go crazy, uh, <laughs> 1985 uh, World Series. Um, that's when I'm, I was, at that point in time, I was, I guess, seven or eight years old just to age myself there. And um, I just remember you know, the, in, within the community and my dad and uh, just that was my first real clear memory. And so the mid-80s Cardinals, which was, of course, Whitey Ball and, um, you know, those teams were a lot of fun to follow. And then and then a little bit later on, you had La Russa, uh, you know, come to St. Louis and, you know, eventually Mark McGuire and, and some of that that whole um Home run uh, race uh, was was a lot of fun. While during the time, of course, a little bit of a taint on it since then. And um, you know, then throughout the remainder, just being able to watch Albert Pujols. I mean, I think being able to see a guy like that in his prime. I mean, the first ten years he put up were the ten of the best years of any player to ever play the game. I mean, there's just if anyone's ever looked at the numbers, it's it's uh, clear. That so those true. are some of the 
<laughs> Those are some of the you know main influences I have uh, had as a Cardinal fan. Um, I had a chance to actually meet your team. primary sport that you're. Yes, sir. I mean, um, I, I grew up playing ball, uh, and I actually was um, for many years. I'm not doing it currently, but for many years, I was a, a varsity head coach at a, at a high school. So I'm in education. Um, so now I'm in administration, so I don't really have the time to coach uh, as I did, but I've coached uh, American Legion ball, coached, um, you know, high school ball at the varsity level. So baseball is uh, in my blood through and through. Oh, that's outstanding. What position did you play? What were your I caught, roles? I caught and then I had um, had a little bit of some arm issues um, as I got older and ended up playing more first base. So it was kind of a you know, bigger guy, so one of those kind of catcher first base types. <laughs> there you go. Well, you mentioned that you're in education. Uh, we've got at least three, uh, I think, high school teachers in our league, and so you'd be at least the fourth person associated with um, with education. Although I think uh, you meant, you say you're in administration. What does what does education and administration mean? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> what, what do you do? <laughs> I mean, it's like the, like the role of a principal is mine is what I do. Okay. Um, okay. So for for an upper school and um, which is grades like six through twelve and um, they're, they're, when you say what do you do, I'd kind of come back with what don't you do. It's kind of a um, especially I'm I'm at a smaller uh, private school and so you wear a lot of hats and you primarily you're uh, responsible for supervising the teachers and then dealing with students, you know, with anything related to student uh, life and uh, academic affairs, um, discipline. How did your your career wind through? uh, I assume you started as a teacher and worked in a couple of different directions, or how did you decide to move into the administrative side of education? Yeah, I was was teaching – for, uh, in St. Louis, I went back to my actually I went back to my alma mater, where I had graduated from, and I taught there uh, after uh, college, and I taught there for eight years, and just was um, interested in finding something a little bit different. Uh, kind of this one school was all I had known in education, and I was open to different things, and I just administration was something. Leadership is always something that I kind of gravitated towards. I think it kind of fits in with the coaching uh, aspect and the love of coaching, uh, being you know being a leader of a team, and I I've, I felt like that was something that I wanted to do, and so just um, went after that, and eventually got the opportunity to move into administration, and um, yeah, now so now it's really been about um, twelve or thirteen additional years. Uh, doing that (laughs) it's got to be a a a pretty intense job right now especially with all the covid pandemic and stuff going on i know that uh, both kevin and chris in particular have talked about uh, kevin in calgary and chris in portland have talked about how dramatically their workload has shifted as remote learning has gotten going and so forth um how did, how has this last year changed your job? Uh, a great deal, uh, sure. Um, it's starting to get a little bit more back to normal. We you know, have a hybrid situation right now where 
families were allowed to keep their children at home if they wish, but there there's a minority that have done that. And so most of the children are in school. But um, if you go back to, of course, when the pandemic first hit and started, uh, it was almost over a weekend, uh, really, where I mean, we had we had discussions uh, and had some plans laid out just reading the news and seeing what was, you know, potentially going to have to happen. But it really um, came down to almost like a weekend where one, one day we were there and then the next uh, Monday it was online learning. And that was, I think a kind of a brave set off a brave new world in education. And I, it, it opened the door to some good things, uh, but then also some negatives. I mean, just like with any situation and, um, you know, there's the over-reliance on technology and, but then there also are the wonderful things that can be done uh, through, through a technology, technological device when it comes to the education. So I think educators have had to really like figure out a way to walk that thin line and balance that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been, it's been tough. It's been, it's been interesting. Um, but one thing as well that it taught me is just that as an educator, you really value that student contact. It was it was a tough few months for me, oh, yeah. just trying to you, you have this profession where you know being in 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 touch with and influencing young people's lives is really kind of part of uh, what you get out of it. And so that not having it be so impersonal, and then when you are speaking and talking with students, it's through a screen. It, getting back to face to face has, has really been good for my psyche. I'll say that. No, I can imagine that completely. And I get the same feel when I, um, uh, my father actually was a uh, professor in college. Um, so I've got a little bit of, uh, education slash slack academia in my, uh, background. And I completely resonated with what you're talking about on coaching and leadership and, um, you know, ultimately everything, everything that we do in our lives ends up being about community in some way or another. And even this weird BBA thing becomes a a community thing. And I definitely felt in the early stages, I, I liked your comment there. It seems like it's over a weekend that, <laughs> that suddenly yeah. had to completely reinvent everything. It seemed to me like everyone was going through that in the, in that April time period. And, um, um, yeah. It really changed actually the dynamic of the stuff going around here in the BBA too. Um, we had a pretty intense two months or so. I think people were yeah. using the game as sanctuary and trying to figure out what life was meaning, <laughs> you know, the meaning of life and, um, yeah. and how do you get along in life when you don't have that contact of people that you want. I also feel when, yeah. when I hear you talk about contact with the kids, uh, I think there's also a matter of purpose that goes into things, right? You, uh, anyone I know from my father's standpoint that anyone who goes into the field of education is going into it with the idea that you want to interact and help people and, and enjoy that environment. And when that is stripped away, that changes things dramatically. <laughs> um, so let's turn it back into out of the park. Uh, you talked about sure. getting into uh, baseball itself. How did you come about out of the park baseball? What was your path? Yeah, into the game? And I, um, it's funny because I'm, I'm not uh, 
a longtime veteran of the game, but what I've lacked in years, I've made up for in volume. <laughs> um, I, I when the actually all really with the pandemic, um, I was I had started up a podcast within the St. Louis Cardinal kind of fan uh, podcast network and blogging, and I did a lot of blogging uh, for a popular fan site for the St. Louis Cardinals and also podcasting. And um, when the pandemic hit, I just was searching for some other way to for that outlet. And I started writing some articles for a, a website called Sim Sports Gaming. And um, they uh, do a number of different things at, at the site, but the, I was writing game reviews and um, did some podcasting with some of the, cre- the, the content creators for the MLB, the show game for PlayStation. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, one individual uh, or on this at the Sim Sports Gaming site, they host an out of the park baseball league. And at that point in time, so this is, you know, obviously not that long ago, I really did not know much of, about out of the park baseball, but I kept hearing um, the, them talk about it and talk about these things. And so I just started looking into it more and more. And uh, an opening came up in their league, and I put an application in. They have an application process and. Uh, so just sort of like a little bit earlier talking about the coming into the Brewster, uh, I joined this league and I, I didn't have much experience or I'd never really done a lot of PC gaming in general. And, and, uh, the game out of the park baseball was brand new to me, but I took to it uh, almost right away. It just for a baseball fan, it just hit me and I, it's become by far and away my number one hobby and I don't see that changing anytime soon and so I've um Welcome was in that club. league <laughs> yeah. uh so yeah joined a couple of other leagues and then joined uh, the the Brewster and Yameba and uh I'm I'm even I'm, I'm kind of reached a point where I, I am strategizing the need to pull back slightly on uh a couple of situations so that I can focus on the other um, out of the park situations that I really, really love. But it's been a short <laughs> relationship, but, but just awesome. And uh, like I said, what I've lacked in overall uh, time I've made up for in volume. And I just, uh, even just the time spent in the game and you know, sorting through all the different things that, you can sort through. And so, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If there were uh, just more from a personality standpoint than anything else, if there were something in the game that you could change right now, given your, given your massive depth of knowledge about the game, what would you change? I don't know that I have massive depth of knowledge, but um, I think that I would like to see, um, a little bit more um, what I might call um, just, I guess, logic to some of the written scouting reports and maybe a little bit, a little bit more depth. Um, you know, it's sometimes frustrating to read, uh, you know, sort of, well, this, this guy is, can will hit 35 home runs a year. And then the last sentence says he he'll, he'll be a bench Roll. I'm thinking, well, if he's hitting 35 home runs a year, he's not going to be on any bench. Um, and there's just little, little kind of strange 
statements that don't always like mesh well together from your from your scout. And I, that's something I think could be a bit more fluid, and some of that writing could be a little bit better done. Um, so that you, I think you asked for just one thing. So I guess I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm willing to go with more than one. If you've got a couple of different pet peeves or things that you find that are particularly exciting about the game, cause it is, a, um, it's, um, I'm, I'm just interested in your, in your flavor, right? Sure. Everything's ex- exciting, right? I mean, I, I like, I, I do like to, um, I'm kind of addicted to letting the games play out and then doing the doing the replay um, so that, you know, you're watching the replay and clicking through it without without knowing anything that is going to happen uh, through through the sim. And that actually also is a pet peeve because if a game goes to extra innings, it shows you that even if you hide the scores. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's something I really like just kind of almost like you're TiVo to game or DVR to a game and you're watching it later. Um, yeah, I completely knowing. get that. There, there have been times where I will purposely avoid, um, you know, I, I have played in multiple leagues before and uh-huh. I've eventually come to understand that my personality means that I cannot actually effectively play in more than one league at a time because I will get so down deep into my organization that I just can't. Yeah. It becomes more frustrating to have two leagues, right? And when I'm in certain points, I will actually go and, and uh, absorb a sim on a uh, replay basis, right? Where I will actually sit down and just watch the games play. And I tend to feel, and maybe it's just me as a human being creating context out of things that don't really exist, but it makes me feel like I understand the personality of my players more when I watch it at bat by at bat and... I, yeah. It just feels like the team. <laughs> I, that that's the same for me. I mean, absolutely. Um, and you kind of, I mean, you you go through ups and downs throughout the course of the game, and you get frustrated. And so, I mean, there there are times where I will just kind of process a sim more through um, a real time sim, or even just if I'm short on time or whatever, just going through box scores, but I really enjoy that aspect of things. Um, yeah. And just to be clear, I, most of the time I'm looking at things on real time or on, you know, quick, but I find it very satisfying and I will, when I have the time, I will step back and do it Yeah, uh, like that. Um, so I, uh, one thing that's, it, I may be getting ahead of your schedule a little bit, but, <laughs> Um, cause I know that we, you said maybe to throw some questions at you, but it fits into this, uh, conversation that this things that, um, bullpen management, gosh, I, I've, and I've, I've tried to reach out to a lot of different people that I, that I know really follow the game and have played out of the park for years. And I just, I feel like I can never quite get what I want. Sometimes I just want to like reach through the, the screen and kind of say, Oh, you've, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? You have to take him out of the game, and so maybe to be more specific, I wish instead of pitch count or batter count for your relievers, I really wish they would allow you to set sort of an inning. Like there are certain relievers I want to pitch one inning, and that's that's it. No matter what, one inning, and they're done. If it's six pitches, if it's twelve, if it's twenty-two, right. and so that's that's a little uh, frustration, but just managing the bullpen and figuring out exactly how to 
probably get the best, get the most out of the guys down in my pen has it's been a little bit of a process that still frustrates me. Yeah, and I think it's always going to be frustrating. There are some uh, mechanics that I think uh, reading into reading into your comment as a partial question, I think there are some mechanics that you can get more familiar with and will help you um, address the situation from a probabilistic standpoint anyway, right? That says that a majority of the times that you're in this, your team is in this situation, these kinds of pitchers will show up in the game versus, um, uh, versus just letting it be random luck. And it is very, very frustrating. I can imagine it is frustrating from a general manager standpoint sometimes when their manager does something they don't necessarily like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, they get on the phone the next day and say, Hey dude, you know, What what are you doing here? Like, for example, um, this entire postseason for uh, Yellow Springs, um, nobody else would notice because nobody else would pay any attention. But my left-handed, my best left-handed relief pitcher, Angel Hernandez, has not made an appearance. (laughs) And it's like he's on the roster for a reason. The other team has lots of good left-handed hitters. Find a place and use them. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, so yes, there's always going to be frustrations. Uh, but you know, the I use a mix and match of of roles, and I will you know uh, stoppers who come in in the seventh or eighth innings have different usage patterns. Um, I will occasionally use the batter's faced limits to get something close to that one inning kind of thing, right? Limit a guy right. to five batters or something or six batters um, and pitch counts. I don't generally use openers in closers, although I will on occasion start a reliever and put them on a 15 or 20 pitch count um, in order to, to kind of force that. But I'm really, when I do that, I am often then, uh, select effectively selecting the follower by putting him in a relief role with uh, as the only pitcher with long relief on its secondary use. And that 90% of the time matches them up the way I want them to match up. Um, you know, so ultimately the problem is, is that you just have to kind of play with the settings and you start to get some things that kind of work for you. Uh, and then you get into the mix and match of how much does the strategy sliders for both you and your manager, right? Because the managers do make a difference if you have a manager who uh, does focus on platoon advantages, you'll get a bit different performance than others, in my opinion. And at, one of the reasons why I end up being in one league only, um, I will. I, I loved what Vic Kaleka was doing in Chicago this year in his minor leagues. I don't know if you were following him at all, um, but he had one minor league team where he did nothing but put in fantastic defensive players because he was okay. just trying to see how it felt, right? How right. it worked. Uh, I will often use a minor league and um, spend a month just tweaking all of the bullpen usage settings to see what pitchers, and I'll even track it in a spreadsheet, you know, this pitcher pitched in this situation and blah, 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 blah. So that I get a feel for how things go. 
But the problem there is, is in my opinion, it is not a static thing. There are, there are a lot of moving parts. There's the manager, there's the strategy settings, there's the players on the team, and there's the situations and the roles that you set. All of those get together sure. to make a really frustrating amalgam that you can almost manage. <laughs> well, there's also, there's also one thing I fight against. And by the way, some of those thoughts, all of those thoughts were very were helpful, giving me some things to think about. I, it was kind of a question, so I appreciate that. Uh, but it, you know, we mentioned the the, the faster sim environment of, of the Brewster and sample size. You know, it can be any any statistic or any situation you're looking at. If you take a bullpen. If you're if you're reacting and and I'm guilty of this, but if you're reacting just based on uh, you know 14 games or 20 games, it, you can make some mistakes because that that's a very small sample size, and sometimes you have to allow uh, even an individual to kind of go through a, a process. And so, uh, yeah, I, I find that you know whereas in regular baseball if you're following a, a real major league team and so on where you know as a fan you can say oh you know it's small sample size there's 142 games left but for some reason in in uh out of the park <laughs> i'll overreact to you know one sim and i'm just ready to 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 blow the whole thing up so i have to okay. fight again <laughs> yeah well there's part of that is possibly that you actually have some control over it, whereas in real life, you don't really have any control. You just have to deal with it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, the other part is, and I think Ted Schmidt and I would get into this kind of conversation a bunch of times, is um, you know, when you're playing out of the park, you are mentally aware that you are playing a computer game and that there must be algorithms in there somewhere that are that are causing you damage, and you just want to put your fist through the screen. Um Right. <laughs> right. Whereas in, in the advantage that real life has, I'm, I'm a writer. And one of the things that we like to say is an advantage that you that real life has is it has to be um, it doesn't have to be plausible. Right. If you're writing a piece of fiction, you have to write something that people think is plausible, whereas real life can just happen however it happens. Right. And right. Um, so anyway, that's um, one of that juxtaposition between how you think about sample size and real versus um and then, and another counter to that is if you're a, you know, you're a coach of players, you've coached players before, you sure. know who they are, you've watched them work out, you know who's slacking off and who isn't slacking off, and you probably give the guys who are working really hard a better benefit of the doubt than the guys who aren't. And so, you know, baseball teams know their personnel better than anyone else, theoretically. Um Perhaps that gives them a little bit more leeway to be comfortable with sample size questions. I don't know. I'm making that up totally, but it feels <laughs> good make... to me. Yeah, I'll go with it. I'll go with it. <laughs> well, let me uh, let me turn this into the infamous uh, GM's Corners lightning round. Okay. Uh -oh. I'm going to put you in the corner and shine the really bright light on your in your eyes and make you dazzled away and give me all of your great secrets here. Uh, these these lightning rounds, if you've listened to many general managers' quarter, uh, corners in the past, they either go really lightning-wise or they just wander wherever they go. So the lightning round may or may not be. <laughs> Feel free to go wherever you want to go with this. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to hit you with a couple of different uh, a couple of different questions in a couple of different directions, and we'll see where we go. 
Um, favorite Cardinal of all time and why? Albert Pujols. Um, <laughs> I think mainly because he was a player that I had the opportunity to essentially watch you know, every at bat he ever took. Um, so even though, you know, there's guys like Gibson and Musial in the, in the lore of the franchise, um, pools, I got to watch, you know, day in and day out and just never seen a, a better hitter during those years. Um, or, you know, in any of the years I've followed baseball than what he was or is still, I guess. Worst mistake you've made at the helm of Manama. Ooh, um, gosh, let me, let me think here. Um, oh boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I probably, I, this isn't a great answer, but I, I wasn't really happy with, um, the shortstop, uh, who ended up getting hurt in the latter part of the year. And I wasn't really enjoying his play, and I was always on the the verge of um, Jesus Flores is the name, and he, I was always on the verge of doing a shuffle, and I and I ended up he he forced me into doing it with getting himself injured, and I wish I would have made the move much sooner on my own because once I did it, like I think everything fell into place a little bit better with the lineup and. Lost a little bit defensively, but not enough to where it, it it offset some other things. So, yeah, I think that would probably be the one I'd go with. Beer, wine, bourbon, or tea, what will you celebrate your first United Cup or Monty Brewster Cup with? <laughs> um, wine. Tell me more. White. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. I, I um, a different stage in life. It would have probably been a beer, but I've uh, gone to more of when I do. You know, if I'm gonna have a drink, it'd be wine, and so that would probably be. And also something about uh, about that um, and celebration just seems to fit. There you but go. But you didn't offer me there champagne, so I probably I'll go champagne if I can. You go whatever you go. <laughs> Most important stat in baseball. Oh, for a hitter or a pitcher. Most important stat in baseball. I oh, ask you, the questions, you get the okay. answer. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, Touche. Um, <laughs> we'll go uh, because I don't want to limit it to one position. I will go war. Um, you know, wins above replacement or WRC plus, although there's a different one for pitchers, isn't there? So I'll go with war. Um, wins above replacement. All right. Give me one thing uh, on your personal bucket list. Oh, um, like to uh, see ball games and. and more ballparks than I have. And if I, if I'm going to be a bit more specific, I would do, um, Fenway, uh, Yankee stadium and, uh, whatever they're calling the ballpark in San Francisco these days. There you go. <laughs> Favorite man a player and why? Um, it's, uh, gosh, that's a, that's a, I think, because he's um, 
I would it would be Coca or, or Greer, uh, but I think because he's a homegrown or you know an original uh, pearl, uh, I would go with the center fielder Coca. Uh, still, uh, still a lot to play out in his career. Um, he is only 25 and is coming off. I'm uh, just actually making sure I have my numbers right, but I mean, 51 homers in 2044, he had 34 this year, um, 148 home runs already over the course of four seasons. So just to see how the rest of that career plays out. And he's, he'd be my, my favorite guy. He's an exciting guy. So uh, give me a, something, um, something that you're doing inside the uh, OOTP BBA environment that you don't think anyone else is really focusing on. Oh, okay. Um, gosh, I'm, uh, I, I, I don't know that this is, um, not something people are focusing on, but, uh, I think really with hitters, um, I've come to, uh, in terms of, now, I mean, I guess with Monoma, I, I haven't fully been able to let this play out, but it's it's kind of always part of the plan. But really to look to acquire, draft, et cetera, hitters that have power, uh, but with also the eye, that power-eye combination um, is – and again, I – I say this, and I, I'm sure that I'm not the only one that's ever <laughs> given this thought, but um, it is something maybe a little bit unique that that I value over all others. There you go. Uh, like looking at hitters because um, you figure if you if you develop that power, plus you have the guy that's willing and able to take walks, uh, that's that's really a a nice commodity to commodity to have. There you go. No, I asked the question knowing that there are actually no new ideas under the sun, yeah. but it's it's interesting <laughs> to hear. Alrighty, last question to, to before you have officially survived the lightning round. Um, I would like to hear uh, you relate your very best sports related memory that you have that you have been personally involved in in any uh, in any sort of way. What makes you the happiest to think about? Well, I think I got a fairly unique one for you. Um, it's the first thing that comes to mind. But I, I spent time uh, teaching overseas as an administrator, and when in the, the famous 2011 game six, St. Louis Cardinals Texas Rangers, which was like a four and a half hour game, and um, David Freeze hits a triple with two outs, two strikes to tie it in the ninth, and then he ends up hitting a walk-off in the tenth, I believe. Um, you know, classic ball game. And I am, yeah, I was like six or seven hours ahead of, of Eastern time, so I missed stayed up. Um, and it was, a, it was a school night, so I had work in school the next day. And I just remember, you know, staying up, and it was, that game ended – around 6, 6.15, 6.30 a.m. local time. And, of course, I was so jacked and so elated and just couldn't believe the ballgame I had just watched. 
and you know so many other people around the world cardinal fans would watch um you know would would celebrate and go to bed but for me <laughs> I, I had a cup of coffee and went went to went to work with a big smile on my face and baseball's what not really big and uh, where I was, so nobody really knew or cared why I was so happy. But um, that was just a kind of a surreal experience to, to to experience that ball game and then just like start my day in the morning. Like that was that was a fun uh, and memorable experience. There you go. Nothing better than nothing better than a good fandom uh, moment. So. Yeah. Alrighty. So you have officially survived the lightning round. Um, <laughs> Like I said, we'll edit out all the special things that you've told me about how to play the game so no one else can learn about them. Yeah, please. Um, you know, that's kind of the pinky swear promise that we make here. So um, you already kind of started asking a question. Do you have anything else you would like to um, turn the oh. tables and ask me about? Um, maybe you said something earlier that intrigued me a little bit. Maybe this will this may, might be the only one I have for you. But, uh, you know, you said that, Yumiba, I'm sorry, the Brewster and I guess the Yumiba well has evolved in different ways and different kind of rule changes or things that have, what, what would be maybe number one on your agenda if there was a particular rule change or an adjustment in, in any sort of way that you would advocate for within the, the league? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, one of the rules that I miss a little bit from the old EBA days, uh, and we had it at the very beginning of the Umeba, um, was what we call the Rule 6 and Rule 7 drafts. Um, and it was a interesting dynamic. Are you familiar with the Rule 6 and Rule 7? Um, uh, no, no okay. I'm not. <laughs> um, what we had, when I came into the EBA, we had a situation where um, after four years of experience in the EBA, um, a player would then be eligible to be drafted um, by a BBA team. So in the Umeba situation, you know, you talk about Coca. After four years in the Umeba, Coca would be eligible to be drafted, um, which would mean that Coca would become a free agent and everyone could bid on him. And then the team who, let's say I drafted Coca you know, out of Yellow Springs, I would have topping rights. Whoever bid whatever amount on Coca, I could just say, okay, I'll take him for that, right? And then rule that was rule six. And then rule seven was put into place that if you and the Umeba had lost Coca, you could then acquire a player from mine who was rule five eligible or whatever for free or something. I can't remember the full details of it. But it created a really interesting dynamic of movement of players between the league's and really, we don't have a good movement of player between the league thing. We yeah. stopped it in the Umeba for the specific reason that um, I believe the EBA was developed completely as a holding bin league, right? So player uh, GMs could come in and be in the environment for a little while before being pulled into the BBA. We created the Umeba with a little bit different flavor with the idea that it really could be a standalone self-functioning, fully inhabitable league. Um, and so that meant that if you lost Coca, for example, 
that might piss you piss you off enough you want to leave, <laughs> right? Because that would change the dynamic of the league. So we we cut that off uh, because we were clear that we wanted to allow Umeba teams to generate their own. As Aaron was talking in his la- on the last podcast, it would generate their own flavor and their own identities and all that other good stuff. Uh, but I would like I miss the uh, dynamic of moving players between the league in that way. And it created some really interesting game theory. Uh, if you go back and look, uh, do a search on uh, Savage Salazar. When I first came into the league, Alfredo Salazar, who turned out to be a Hall of Famer, um, was an EBA guy that was available and... Chris Wilson and I were in this mega bidding war that ended up with Wilson winning. <laughs> I had the topping rights, but he spent so much that I couldn't um, uh, couldn't afford to take him. Uh, but I right. think Salazar made like sixty million dollars in his first year and fifty million in his second year, and it was just a, a obscene, insane process. But it was fun, right? Um, so I missed that. Um, think of it like a Japanese posting kind of thing where you can get an interaction between the leagues. Uh, I think we would like to do that, but I, we would want to make sure that it's done in a respectable way and didn't create bad feelings anywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, you've now been in, you've been in this out of the park world long enough that you can create some pretty massive connections with your players. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. that, would, that kind of would be my flavor on the conversation, especially between the UMEBA and the and the BBA. I think there's lots of little tweaks and nuances that we could make in various different rule sets. Uh, we've talked about comp pick changes and things like that. Um, that would probably be yeah. good to redo. But you know, to, uh, again, to Matt's credit, um, he is. Uh, there are times where I don't always agree 100% with what he's done or how he's communicated something, but he's um, absolutely brilliant in my mind as we look across the years, uh, slowly adjusting different things. So, Well, I think if there are interesting and creative ways to, to kind of have that cross uh, relationship between the two leagues and, but yet have it be enjoyable and, and fair and all that, you know, all the things you mentioned for, for both parties, that would be great. I think, yeah, like there probably are some complexities to making sure to do that, but if there are different ways to do it, I I think it would be. Yeah. And there've been some interesting ideas put forward. Um, Brett Trader, the guy who was GM of the pearls before you um, um, actually made an interesting proposal around, um, creating some trade partner kind of relationships and the governing board has talked about that. So I see uh, we may, that may rise its head again. There've been other things that have been a little higher priority at points. (laughs) That's another thing, you know, you try to get, try to, uh, trying to get the five governing board members together on a routine basis to drive a discussion about specific uh, changes you know, we each have our, we're all, we're just regular people. We don't do this. We don't get paid to do this and nobody gets paid to do it. It's supposed to be fun and sure. changes can only happen on a, 
Yeah. I wanted to tell you, I looked, I looked up, uh, sorry, uh, interrupt you. I wanted to tell you, I looked up uh, Barfoot because this guy would intrigue me when you said there, I don't know if this means anything to you, but he's out of England, Bassingstoke, England in the UK. I don't know if that would help you. You said you were wondering if he was maybe really. Um, anyway. Could be. I don't know. Uh, I, I will go and check that out too. Yeah. Well, let me ask a final question here. Um, sure. Before we before we sign off, or if you have anything else you'd like to add, feel free to add. But um, what are you thinking about as you look forward for the pearls? What kind of plans are you looking at? Do you think that the um, expansion is going to cause you to change your approach in any way? What What do you What, do you, what, do you, what should pearl fans expect in twenty forty six? Sure, um, I, I don't know that expansion will will have me make any different decisions or changes than I already would. I, th I think that um, we're going to look to continue to get a little bit younger. Um, we've done that in the, in the pitching staff. Uh, I think that maybe not this next year. Um, so when we look at just uh, the next season, we're probably Pearl fans are going to see a lot of the same names and faces. But um, if I were to project that out, okay, Maybe two years from now, well, we're going to be looking to turn over some of the the older guys like O and uh, Greer and Holman and some of these guys and start, try to start bringing in younger positional position players into the mix. So I think sort of what has happened with the pitching staff, um, that's what I'm – really focused on looking at when it comes to the regular everyday lineup is just starting to get a little bit younger and, and turning over some of those roles to, to younger guys, a little bit more cost controlled and, and so on. Now, again, though, that outlook probably doesn't apply so much to, to next season, uh, more of, a, you know, two, two, two to three years type of thing. But, um, for next year, really, uh, we're going to try to bring the band back mostly, and uh, well, you and got a hundred plus win team, so so it sounds like a pretty yeah. good band. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's kind of the that's kind of the thinking. I mean, I don't want to mess things up uh, too much. We have a we'll have a hole to fill at first base. I'm not quite sure um, how we're going to handle that. We'll look for some different ways, creative ways to handle that, um, but. Yeah, that's uh, that's the outlook. All righty. Well, Ryan, I sure appreciate your time here today. It's been a great uh, pleasure talking with you. I hope we get together and do this again a couple of times. It's been my pleasure as well. Uh, anytime, um, I'd be happy to uh, connect with you again. And um, just looking forward to the future and uh, the Brewster and uh, you made us. Great stuff. Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald, and competed in by an amazing group of outstanding general managers. Check us out at MontyBrewster.net. You have been listening to the GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Until then, have fun, be safe, 
And always remember that even a boring team news is worth two points. 